All right, Shabbos, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Nisan. Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating over Shum and Rushos this month. In memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zechariah and Sarah Bas Avram, and to thank Avram and Shane Kelman for dedicating the Shurim and Joshua's this month, in memory of Avram's mother, Sarah Braina Bas Yoshua Heschel. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama Slavon Aliyah, and the families in Nechamar. So with that, let us begin. Today's daf is Yud Tess, and we are in Merit Sasha picking up at the Mishnah in the new parak. I just wanted to close out. Chesty Halochalamaisa, we left off again, we ran we ran out of time yesterday. I didn't get a chance to do the Rambam at the end of the sugya. So remember again, we left off in the end of the sugya discussing the idea, discussing the idea about whether or not a woman could be subject to the Sulta process more than once. So if you remember, again, we had a couple of different variations of this question. So possibility one is, could she be subject to the Sulta process at the same time within one marriage, within one marriage? And then that question was further broken down into, could she be subject to the Sulta process with the same man, right? The same suspected adulterer in the same marriage or just different suspected adulterers within the same marriage. And again, if in the same marriage is not possible, what about in different marriages? In other words, is there such a concept that maybe a woman once, she is subject to the Sota process once in her lifetime, that's it. Remember the Svara there would seem to be reflective of the opinion of Rabbi Meir, namely that once the Sota waters are in her body, ultimately again, they serve to check her even at a later date. So the Rambam Paskins, this is in Hilchos Sota, Perak Aleph Halacha Yud base. The Rambam writes, a woman can only be subject to the Sota process with a particular suspected adulterer once, once within a marriage. So therefore, let's say Rachel's married to Ruvain. Ruvain warns her not to be alone with Shimon. She goes ahead and she violates the warning, triggers the Sota process. She drinks the water, and let's say she's innocent. She's innocent. Then again, Ruben warns her again about Shimon. She would not drink a second time for suspected adultery with the same man within the same marriage. However, but if let's say again, the second time Reuven warns her about being alone with a lady, then Lamais again, the Sota process could be administered a second time. So bottom line, Raman Paskins, the Halacha Lamaisa, essentially, it's only one Sota process per suspected adulterer. Right? You can't drink twice for the same suspected adulterer, but you can drink more than once in the course of one marriage, as long as it's different suspected adulterers each time. Okay, that's the Raman Paskins. Good. We'll say with that, new Mishnah. New Mishnah, Tesson Dalif. How you know to Lesson Chasa, Mitoch Kafifa Mitzvah. So remember again, continuing along in the process, the actual process of Sota. So literally translated, he would take his, he would take, he would take her mincha, mitoch kafifa mitzris. So remember again, halacha lamaisa, the, the mincha itself of the sota, as we spoke about, is brought to the base of mikdash, 
in this in this reed basket. Remember again, back, back to the last parak, one of the fundamental distinctions we made between the sotas mincha and a regular mincha was what? Generally, when bringing a mincha from your home, how would you bring it? Right? Gold and silver baskets. Right? So remember again, didn't have to actually be klisharis, but rather ra'i to be a klisharis. Sotas mincha is brought in a very basic, in a very basic reed basket. Okay, so she, he, he would go ahead and he would take her mincha from the kvitha mitzvahs, the nostal nasoch klisharis, and would go ahead and put it into a klisharis, an actual service utensil. And I will say, it's interesting to note, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over, hayinotel as minchasa habal. It's actually quite interesting. Rashi understands, when you read the Mishnah, I don't know, I would automatically assume that who's taking the mincha and putting it into a klisharis? The coin. But yet Rashi points out over here that it's actually, it could, in other words, it doesn't have to be the husband, but it could be the husband, Rashi points out. Actually, just a fascinating piece of information over here. That technically speaking, Technically speaking, it's really up until the point of Hagasha, of bringing the Mincha close to the Mizbeah, all of that could be done by a Zar, by a non-Kohen. So that technically speaking, when we speak about transferring, transferring the contents of the Kfifa Mitzris into a Klisharis, technically speaking, that could all be done by the husband. That could all be done by a non-Kohen. Okay, again, I will say, just to be clear, it doesn't mean it has to be done by the husband. The Mishra is just teaching me it can be done by the husband. The transference of a karma mincha from a mundane utensil into a klisharis does not require a kohen. Fine. The nosna al yada, I will say, after, interesting enough, after it's transferred into a klisharis, so ultimately he places the klisharis on her hands, right? So she holds the klisharis. The kohen maniach yada mitachta. I will say, interestingly enough, it sounds like over here, the Kohen places his hands underneath her hands. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hey, so we'll say, umanifa. And they wave, they wave, which literally means they move the klisharis in different directions, what we call tinufa. Tinufa. Now, I will say, now, fine, so let's pause for just a moment. This is interesting about the Kohen putting his hands underneath her hands. So if you look at Tosis, Tosis, the coin maniach es yado tachta, Tosis writes, Haide itzterich su lemisni the coin maniach es yado tachta, velo katoni bistam, umachnis es yado, lashmo inon de tinufa be coin. Fine, you shall be fine. The coin maniach es yado tachta, the in hadover cure, maniach mapa, the inochotes. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, Tosis struggles with this as well. So this is how exactly is it that we're having the Kohen put his hands on top, or I should say, underneath of the Sota's hands. Right? In other words, again, obviously a man touching a woman who is not his wife or not, not one of his direct blood relatives, clearly, again, is halachically problematic. So what's happening over here? So Tosis floats an idea that maybe ultimately there was a cloth between them. So the problem with the cloth, of course, is that would represent 
a chatzitza. The same way that a coin can't wear gloves when he does the avoda, so the use of a cloth would also be pashtos be problematic. So Tosas goes on, he says, maybe coin zucking. So it could be that it was an elderly coin who went ahead and did this avoda. It was supposed to have with an elderly coin. That we assume that once a person reaches a certain age, so those taivas, those desires, are, are a bit more diminished. So perhaps we went ahead and we definitely used an elderly coin for this particular avoda. Therefore, there's no concern about any kind of arousal, no concern about any type of, of hearer that would, come, that would come about. Fine. Then Tosa says, V'afilu tema koin yeled, she'ein yetzer hara mitsuya l'sha'a. So we'll say, this is actually, this is actually quite interesting. I'll say, then Tosa says, maybe it was even just a regular coin, a young coin, and maybe there's just no Yetzir Hara in this moment. Whereas we'll say, what, what, what's the Pshat with that? Maybe the Pshat with that is, is like this. Remember, what's going on over here in this process? What's going on over here? So this is clearly a situation where the Yetzir Hara has gotten a little bit out of control. So there is such a concept like this where sometimes, again, people are so overwhelmed by the enormity of what it is that's unfolding that even the Sahara, which is normally a very powerful driving force within an individual, is a bit dormant or a bit restrained. So Tosas quotes three different possibilities as to how this is happening. Either the use of a cloth, which would seem to be halachically problematic, an old Kohen, an old Kohen, the Sahara is not there, or... Even a young coin, but Lamaisa is that Lushan is so incredible. Ain Yitzer Hara, Sha'in Yitzahara Mitsuya Lisha. Right? There's no Yitzahara Lisha. What's the word Lisha mean? So right? At that time. At that time. They will say, by the way, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if that was true? Right, that you could, that maybe there was just a few minutes where the Yitzhahara was quiet, right? Just a few minutes where the Yitzhahara was done, just a few minutes where he just left me alone. How fantastic. Okay, in any event, I'm just pointing out to you, it's intriguing, it's interesting, and it's not Pashat. Fine, we'll, we'll talk about the Rambam with this a little bit later on if we have time. Fine, let's go weiter, back to the Mishnah. So, so, Omanifa, right? Heinif vehigish komets vehiktir. So, I'll say, so now, the in, here's what's interesting about the order. So, then it sounds like they do the waving. Higish, Rabbosay, ultimately means they bring the carbon mincha close to the Messiah. Remember again, Rabbosay, a lot of this goes back to the previous, to the previous Mishnahis we had. Where, remember again, you're taking the, remember from the previous Mishnah, little Chazara. Where are you taking the carbon mincha? Where's the carbon, when we talk about Hagasha, bringing it close to the Mizbeach. Where is it going? Remember from the last Mishnah or last parak, Right? Southwest corner. Right? The raised southwest corner of the Mizbeach. Kamatz. You take the Kamitza. Hiktir. Remember the Kamitza is offered up on the Mizbeach. Vashar Ne'ach al And the rest ultimately again is consumed by the Kohanim. Fine. Hoyo Mashke. Va'achakach Makriv Es Minchasa. So here's what's interesting. Just... The Mishnah says, but by the way, the proper order was, first she would drink, and then the mincha would be offered. Then the mincha would be offered. Fine, I will say, so take a look. Well, actually, we'll, we'll find. Fine. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Makriv minchasa, Rabbi Shimon disagrees. So we we'll say, Tanakama holds that first drinking, and then mincha. Rabbi Shimon holds first mincha, and then drinking. What Rabbi say? What's the Tanakhama's logic? What's the Tanakhama's logic? First drinking, then mincha. It makes sense. Why? 
you don't want to offer up the carbon if she doesn't end up drinking, right? Lamaisa, if you offer up the carbon and then it turns out she doesn't drink, then technically speaking, you've just offered up, you know, a mincha without bailam and mincha without owners. What's Rabbi Shimon's logic? Rabbi Shimon says, Makri v'achar minchasam, Rabbi Shneemar v'achar yashkes ha'isha. Because I will say, the Pasuk says, literally again, v'achar yashke, v'achar yashke sa'isha sa'mayim, says, after, after what? So I will say, the Lashon of the Pasuk is, v'kamat sa'koyim minah minchas askarasa, v'hikter mizbecha, v'achar. So it seems like a pretty explicit Pasuk. Pasuk says, you'll offer up the mincha, v'achar, and afterwards, afterwards, she will drink. So I will obviously have to see what the Tanakhama does with that Pasuk. Again, if you went ahead and you gave her to drink first, and then you offered up the mincha, even Rabbi Shimon would agree that the mincha is kosher. Good. So we'll say, so let's analyze a little bit. Amrali Rabbi Elazar, the Rabbi Yoshia didare. So Rabbi Elazar said to Rabbi Yoshia of his generation. There was just an interesting biographical Rashi here. Rabbi Yoshia didare, first Rashi in the Gemara. It's uh, the fourth to last, fifth to last short line. Amorahu ubidorosh Rabbi Lazar ben Pedas. I will say this, he was, a, the, the Rabbi Yoshia that we are talking about was an Amora, and he lived in the generation of Rabbi Elazar. So Rashi goes on, he says, V'od hai Rabbi Yoshia shayatana barpultid Rabbi Yochanan bekulei Gimara, v'ainu t'kama Rabbi Yoshia didarei. Delotema Rabbi Yoshia hazokim so we'll say, interestingly enough, two Rabbi Yoshias, Rabbi Yoshia the Amora, Rabbi Yoshia the Tana. This conversation of here of Rabbi Elazar ben Pedas to Rabbi Yoshia is to Rabbi Yoshia the Amora, who was a contemporary of Rabbi Elazar ben Pedas. And I will say, the reason why we have to identify the person is because, look at the way, the, the way, the way Rabbi Elazar interacts with Rabbi Yoshia. Look what he says. Do not sit down until you explain to me the following. Now I will say, so, so again, that's a strong lotion, right? Don't take your seat until you explain to me the following. So Limar just wants to point out, you should not think that Rabbi Elazar is talking to the Rabbi Yoshia who is older than him, who is older than him. Why? Because that would be a sign of disrespect. He's talking to Rabbi Yoshia, who's a contemporary of his. And he's saying, don't sit down until you sense the said, You know, part of the beauty of Gemara, part of the beauty of Gemara, ultimately, again, is, is, um, is that Gemara teaches us so many things, not just with, not just with, you know, the stated halacha, but even just with the small interactions. In other words, you might want to make sure that you don't think that Rabbi Lazar ben Pedas is speaking to someone who is older than him in a non-deferential way. And I will say it's interesting how like, you know, I would say modes of respect change over time. Like I'll tell you, growing up, I'm not an old person. Growing up, you never called someone older than you, like a friend of your parents, by their first name. You never called someone by their first name, right? It was always Mr., Mrs., never. It's fascinating that today, it's so accepted that children call adults, you know, like, like their parents, friends, or their parents, peers, by their first names. Again, it's obviously, it's societal. It's societal. So it's just fascinating how 
these norms, right? Norms changed. Respect norms. In, in general, respect is a difficult thing to find contemporarily. There's such an erosion of respect standards. So it's interesting that the Gemara sing over here, you know, this fascinating idea that Rabbi Lazar is saying, Rabbi Lazar is saying to Rabbi Oshia, don't sit down. Whoa, hold up. Just make sure we understand. It's not Rabbi Oshia, his senior. He would never speak to someone older that way. This is Rabbi Oshia, his peer, his contemporary, saying, listen, don't pull up a chair in the until you explain to me the following idea. It's interesting. So the Gemara says, I feel old now, like I get to talk about how things were when I was younger, right? When I was a kid, we never did that. I got, Gemara goes like that. So minayim, minayim v'minchas sota, she te'una tenufa. So say, so he was asking the following question. From where do we know that minchas sota requires waving? Remember again, the Mishnah tells me that you waved the mincha of the sota. So from where, from where do we know that, this, that the mincha of the sota requires tenufa? So menale, ve'enif ksibba. Well, the Torah says that you wave it. That's pretty obvious. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. The fact that sota needs tenufa, so that's an explicit pasuk. What we're asking is, normally ve'enif, right, would mean the Kohen waves it. How do I know that there's an obligation for the owners to wave it together with the Kohen? To which the Gemara says, Asya Yad Yad Mishlamin. So it's also very interesting. There's a Gzera Shava of Yad Yad from Shlamin. Now we'll say, what's the Gzera Shava? Here we go. First of all, look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, Rashi says over here. By the way, we'll say, just want to point out, the Bailin, Rashi also points out, is the Isha. Right? Remember again, the husband is not waving, not even though the husband was the one who was bringing the mincha to the Beis HaMikdash, the husband is not the one who's doing the tenufa with the kohen. It's the wife, it's the sota who's doing the tenufa. So we're asking, from where do we know that tenufa is done with the owners, with the owners in the kohen? So the Gemara is from Shlamim. Look at Ashi Shlamim. So when it comes to the Shlamim offering, so the waving process is done with the chest and the thigh and the sacrificial parts. So listen to this. It says over here, Pasuk says over here, by, by the by the mincha of the sota, the coin will take it from the hand of the woman. When it says by Shlamim, Yodav Tevi'ano. So, and again, it uses the same notion of Yadav by Shlamim. What do we see from here? Makan Kohen, just like over here, ultimately, again, by the Sota, it's clear the Kohen is doing the Tenufa. Af lahalon Kohen. So too by Shlamim, it's also the Kohen. Umar lahalon Bailim. And just like by Shlamim, who's doing the Tenufa together with the Kohen? It's the owners of the Karban. Afkan Bailim. So too over here by Sota. Ultimately, again, it's the owners Okay, so how does that work? The coin places his hands underneath the owner's hands and they wave together. From Shlomim to Sota to teach us that not only is Tanufa being done, but Tanufa is being done with the coin together with the owner of the carbon, in this case, the Sota. Incredible. Hinif, the Higish, Kamatz, Hayamashkeva, Shabbos says, here's what's interesting. So remember again, the Lushan of the Mishnah was, they did Tanufa, they offered up the Kometz, they offered up the Kometz, then she would drink, and then they would offer up the Mincha. Shabbos says, so the Mishnah is inherently contradictory, because the way the Mishnah reads initially is, it sounds like the Mincha is being offered up when? Before she drinks. And then the Mishnah says, the Mincha is being offered up only after she drinks. 
So which one is it? To which the Gemara says, Ha-Akriva. I don't understand. You're making it sound like she drinks and then she goes in and offers up the Mincha. But it sounds like from the Mishnah that the Mincha was already offered. Ha-Akriva. This is what it means to say. I will say, here we go. Seder Menachos Ketzad. They will say, what is the order of the Mincha of the Soda? So, Hanif. Here's the process. They will say, obviously, we're lapping off the front part of the process, right? Because we already learned that. The front part of the process is it's brought in the, in the reed basket to the base HaMikdash, and right, transferred into Akli Sharis. We're skipping a little bit ahead. So now again, Hanif, Tanufa. Tanufa, right waving process. Hegish, they will say, what's Hegish? Bringing the carbon near to the Mizbeach. So remember again, that's before offering. There's the concept of Hagasha, bringing the carbon close to, to the southwest corner of the Mizbeach. Next, Kamatz, taking the Kamitza, taking the Kamitza, right? The three fingerfuls that's actually offered up. Hiktir, ultimately offering up of the Kamitza. Vahashar, Nechol Kohanim. And then the rest is eaten by the Kohanim. So that, that is the process for Kamitza. Ubashkas, Guf of Ubashka, so everyone agrees, right? Here's, here's the great part. Everyone agrees on the process of the mincha. I said, what's the machlok, yes? The machlok is, is where drinking comes in in all of this, right? When does the drinking take place? Here we go. So that's pligi Rabbi Shimon v'Rabbanon. That's the machlok is Rabbi Shimon v'Rabbanon. The Rabbanon sabri, the Rabbanon hold, mashke v'achakach makri v'esminchasa. The Rabbanon hold, ultimately again, she drinks. And then she offers up the mincha. Rabbi Shimon Savar makriv es mincha sa vi achar kach mashke shene emar va achar yashke. Shabbos says the fundamental machlokis. So the Rabbanon hold that ultimately again, first she drinks and then the mincha. And Rabbi Shimon holds that first she offers the mincha and then she drinks. Fine. Rabbi says we'll see the Rambam in this in just a moment. Vim hishka va achar kach vim hishka vi achar kach hikriv es mincha sekshera. Rabbi says it appears that even Rabbi Shimon who normally says that first mincha and then drinking agrees that if you drank first and then mincha, ultimately again, you are still yotze. So I'll say, Amid Beis. Let's analyze this a little bit. Amid Beis. So I'll say, so the Pasuk says, Vihishka. Sorry. Um, we should do the Rambam now. Uh, okay, let's, let's go a little bit weiter first. We'll do, we'll do the Rambam in just a bit. So Tanabonon. Vihishka. So we'll say the Pasuk says, you'll give it to drink. So remember again, the Pashat Pshat, the Pashat Pshat of the Psukim seems to support Rabbi Shimon, namely that first mincha, that first mincha, and then drinking. So the Hishka, the Pasik says you'll give her to drink. Now the truth is that there's two times the Torah says the Hishka will give her to drink, which obviously would seem to be repetitive. So Matam Lomar, why does the Torah have to say the Hishka again? It already told us that you give it to drink. So we'll say, so why the second Vihishka? Actually, we'll say, before we get to this, let me tell you the Rambam. Let's, 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 solidify, let's solidify the order over here, right? Because we have a fundamental apologist between Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon. According to Rabbi Shimon, first Mincha, then drinking. According to the Rabbanon, first drinking and then Mincha. So how do we pass him? So the Rambam says, this is in Hilchos Sota, Perik Gimel Halacha Tesvav, so on and so forth. So I'll say the Raman Paskins drinking and then mincha. 
drinking and then mincha like the Rabbanon. Like the Rabbanon, drinking then mincha. Fine. Fine. So, say, so now, now that we kind of have that out of the way, all right, let's, let's go back. So the Pasuk says like this. So why do you have to say the Hishka twice? I say Hishka twice. To which the Gemara says, that teach you, second line from the top, you test on the base, 19b. So we'll say, watch this. What happens if the parchment was erased? And after the parchment was erased into the water, she says, I'm not drinking. <coughs> I'm not drinking. So what's the halacha? Rabbi Akiva says, the second the Hishka says that what? If we already erased the parchment, she's drinking. And we'll say, now, ma'arin osa literally means like we, we push her. Like, like you know, we, we strongly encourage her, which is going to mean we force her. We'll see, we'll, we'll discuss this in greater depth. These words are Rabbi Akiva. Second, the Hishka means that halacha, even if after, so words, once we erased, no going back. No going back, we force her to drink. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, V'achar yashke, they both say, so the pastor says, V'achar yashke, then she will drink. Matamud lomar, so why do you even need to say this? It already said that you give her to drink. Remember again, let's go back. We're going to be jumping back and forth over between drushas. Rabbi Shimon is the one who said, means that what? Remember, when you look at the order of the Pasach, the order of the Pasach is, hers talks about the carbon mincha. After it talks about the carbon mincha, it says, V'achar yashke. Then you will give her to drink. So remember again, Rabbi Shimon in our Mishnah said, "What do you learn from here? That Allah mincha first, and then again drinking afterwards." So now the Gemara elaborates on this drasha a little bit. So we'll say the Torah is coming to teach you. Says Rabbi Shimon that when does she drink? After all of the events described above. To which the Gemara says, "Magid." It teaches us that Allah the woman does not drink until after three things have occurred. What are they? So we'll say, number one, <coughs> you don't drink until when? After your mincha has been offered. That's number one, until the comets has been offered. Good. Number two, you only drink when? After the parchment was erased. So the Gemara is going to say, that's kind of obvious because Lamais again, there's nothing to drink if the parchment hasn't been erased. Fine. The Kabel Aleha Shvua. And ultimately, again, only after she's taken her oath. This goes back to yesterday's daf. Right? Only after, Amen, Amen. Right? Only after she affirms. Well, so remember again, there are two parts to which the Sota goes ahead and attests to her innocence. One, is a declarative statement that she did not commit adultery. The second is a shvua that she takes, attesting to that that she did not commit adultery. So we'll say, so Rabbi Shimon says, she does not drink the water until three things have occurred. Number one, her mincha. Number two, the erasure of Parsha Sota into the kli of water. And number three, her shvua. Her shvua. After those things have occurred, three things have occurred, then she could go ahead and drink the water. So let's, let's analyze each of the three. So number one, her carbon minchas that he offered up. Rabbi Shimon Latame. Rabbi Shimon goes quite to his reasoning. So we'll say, this is Rabbi Shimon of our Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon says, mincha before drinking. Fine. And I will say, by the way, 
the Pasuk really supports Rabbi Shimon, right? Because just the straight reading of the Pasuk indicates that first you're doing the Mincha, the Achar Yashkes Hasota. Fine. Next. Uh, so that's number one. Number two. Achlo Nimcha Kamagila. So she can't drink until she goes ahead, until they erase the Megillah, until they erase the parchment. Yimara says, obviously, Elamai Mashkila. In other words, if you haven't erased the parchment, then what? Then what is she drinking? Amravashi lo nitzricha l'sheri shumo nikar. No, no, no. What does Rabbi Shimon mean when he says she can only drink if the parchment's been erased? I will say, remember again, Rabbi Shimon is coming to say, what about the following situation? Imagine you erase the parchment in the water. But what? But what? Let's say the outline of the writing is still visible on the parchment. She can't drink the water until all of the writing is erased. That's the Chavos. Remember again on Shabbos' death, we spoke about the idea that remember again, you have to use, you have to use the type of ink that can be fully erased, right? Be fully erased in the, in the water itself. So we'll say, so when Rabbi Shimon says that she could only drink once it's been erased, what he means is erased means, erased means fully erased, fully erased. And number three, she has to take the oath upon herself. Right? She, has to, she has to swear about her innocence. To which the Gemara says, So we'll see what you see here is something very interesting. What you see here is according to Rabbi Shimon, that she can't drink until she swears. But if you wanted to write the parish of Sota before she swears, you could do that. In other words, they both say, it would seem to be, it would seem to be that, according, that really, according to Rishimin, the ideal process would be like this, right? Go ahead, offer up the mincha, right? Part one, right? Part two, take your shavua. Part three, write up Parshish Sota. And then again, part four, erase it, erase it. That the writing ideally would be done, what the Gemara is saying over here is if you wanted to pre-write, Right, if you wanted to write the parasha even before she took her shvua, ultimately, again, you could do that. You could do that. You could pre-write it a little. In order, you're pre-writing it before she, you could do that. I have to give her one Rava, Megillah Sota, Shekasva Kodim Shetekabel Aleh Shvua, Lo Asava Lo Klom. I have one second. Rava said you can't do that. It's illegal. That's illegal. That you can't write parasha Sota until when? Until after she takes her oath. Now, I will say, remember again, the parish of Sota that's dissolved into the water has to be written with Shema. Right? In other words, I will say, you can't like walk into Shapsis and like, you know, I'll take, uh, I'll take you know, uh, whatever, ventures in the parish of Sota. You know what I will say? In other words, that, 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 has to be, that has to be written up with Shema for her. So I will say, so this is fascinating. Rava said, Rava said, therefore, parish of Sota can only be written up after she goes ahead and takes her Shvua. Then and only then, Shrevi Shimon, what are you saying that you could write it up before she takes the Shavuah? To which the Umar says, Kedei Naspa. You're right, you're right, that shouldn't have been there. Rashi says, Kedei Naspa, I'll say, last short line in Rashi, Kedei Naspa, Shalomut Sorechta, Filo Michta Loksik. Right, you're right, take that out. Remove that, remove that. He didn't mean to say that, that you could pre write it before the Shavuah. Parsha Sotha can only be written after she takes her Shavuah. So to which the Umar says, they were both say, bottom line, bottom line, we have a fundamental machlokis between Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon in our Mishnah. Right? So we'll say, remember again, what, so what are they arguing about? Specifically, again, the order of mincha versus, versus drinking, right? 
The Rabbanon hold ultimately again drinking and then mincha. Rabbi Shimon holds mincha and then drinking. We now see, I will say, that Rabbi Shimon kind of has this expanded discussion as well of saying that really three things have to happen prior to the drinking. Number one, the mincha, right? Number two, the erasure, meaning complete erasure. And number three, shvua. Number three, shvua. To which the Gemara says, So we'll say at the end of the day, what is the machlokes between Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbi? I will say, look at Rashi for just a moment. This is first wide line of Rashi. Rashi is Bamai Kamiflagi. Amas Nisim Kai, Ubraisa Nokit Bereshal Ashmo Inon, Mehechi Yalaf Rabbi Shimon Tanei, the Kabai Rabbanon Hashta Eri Dashi. So we'll say, now let's go back to the root. What is the Machlokas, Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon? Bamai Kamiflagi. So we'll say, here we go. So it's lots of cracks even. I will say, in reality, there are three different phrases here. Three different phrases. What are the three different phrases? Number one, the Hishka. The first, the Hishka, right? Number two, the Achar Yashke, that you will give her to drink. And number three, the Hishka Basra. So we'll say, in essence, it's fascinating. In Parish Sota, drinking is mentioned three times. The first, the Hishka, then again, the Achar Yashke, and then a third, the Hishka. So we'll say, it's three drinkings. So what do we do with this? So here we go. Rabban and Savi, so Rabban and Hold, Vihishka kama legufo. So the first vihishka bose teaches me what? Shemashke biachakak makrives minchasa. So bose, hishka number one teaches me that drinking comes before mincha. Right? Drink comes before mincha. That's number one. Good. Viachar yashke. Now we'll say the phrase. Viachar yashke. Now we'll say, now remember again, here's what's fascinating. Where does viachar yashke appear? Where does it appear? In the pasak of the mincha. The Pasuk of the Mincha, right? So, Va'acha Yashke teaches me, the Sherishimo Nikr. What does that teach me? That teaches me that if the parchment is not fully erased and an outline of the print is still visible on the parchment, she can't drink, right? The parchment has to be fully erased in order for her to drink. That's the Va'acha Yashke. And then the Hishka Basra, what does the third Vishka teach me? Shemimcha Kamegila Vaomeris Eni Shosa. The third Vishka teaches me that if after the parchment is erased, she says, she says, I'm not drinking, then what's the Allah? Ma'arin Osa, Umashka Osa Balkarcha. Ultimately, again, what? We force her to drink. Force her to drink. It's really fascinating. Now, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because now we begin to see. How the drushes really, t- how the drush really t- take shape. So number one, first the hishka teaches me drinking before drinking before mincha. Second, the achar yashke teaches me parchment must be fully erased in order to drink. Third, the hishka teaches me that if after the parchment was erased, she says, "I'm not drinking." What do we do? Force her to drink. Beautiful, beautiful. Rabbi Shimon saw. Rabbi Shimon says. V'achar yashke, Shabbos Rabbi Shimon dashed a little bit out of order. He says, V'achar yashke, legufo, shemakrives minchasa, v'achar kach mashke. Shabbos Rabbi Shimon says, first of all, let's, let's go a little bit out of order over here. The phrase V'achar yashke, Rabbi Shimon says, let's darshan that in context. What's the context? Torah talks about, offer up the mincha, V'achar yashke, pashit pshat of that pasik teaches me that what? Mincha and then drinking. Okay, that's number one. Mincha and then drinking. 
Vehishka comes. So let's remember again, I want to point out that Rishimin's drasha, you're going to see this very interesting, he's going out of order. He darshins the Yashka, which is really phrase number two, he's darshining that first. Darshining that first. What does that teach me? Mincha and then drinking. Okay, beautiful. Then, the Hishka Kama, the first Hishka, what is that teaching me? Shin Hishka, the Acharka Hikriv Es Minchasa, Kshera. So the first Fin Hishka is teaching me that what? If you reverse the order and you drink first and then Mincha second, Bidiyavet is fine. Bidiyavet is fine. Okay. And then the Hishka Basra, the last Hishka is teaching me, Shin Mincha Kamegila Vaamra Eni Shosa, Ma'arin also, Umashkin also Balkarcha. The third Vishka teaches me that if Allah said the parchment was erased, and what? And what? She said, I'm not drinking. She said, I'm not drinking. Ultimately, again, we force her to drink. Now, both sides, what's beautiful about this? What's beautiful about this? Everyone agrees on Drusha number three. Good. Okay, so let's, let's, let's take your vote. Everyone agrees that Vihishka number three teaches me that what? If they erased and she said, I'm not drinking, ultimately, again, we force her. So, both sides, Let's zero in on the Machlokes. According to the Rabbanon, according to the Rabbanon, first Vehishka teaches me that what? Drinking before Mincha. The Achar Yashka teaches me that what? That if you are raised, but it's not fully raised, you can't drink. That's Rabbanon. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, I will remember again, Rabbi Shimon darshins one and two out of order. He darshins two first. The Achar Yashka teaches me that what? First Mincha, then drinking. And then he darshins the Hishka number one to teach me that what? If you reverse the order and you drank before Mincha, Bidiyavet is kasher. Now, Bosin, I watch this. The Rabbanon say, Rabbi Shimon, that doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you why. The Rabbanon, Bidiyavet lo pasach kra. This is incredible. According to Rabbi Shimon, the Hishka number one is teaching me a Bidiyavet. What does Vehishka number one teach me? What does Vehishka number one teach me? That if you drank before Mincha, Bidiyavet is good. The Rabbanon say, why would the Torah open up with a discussion of Bidiyavet? That doesn't make any sense. That's why the Rabbanon choose to understand that Vehishka number one is teaching you L'Chatrila. And what's L'Chatrila? What's L'Chatrila? Drink before Mincha. I know that comes out strange, right? Drink before Mincha. That is a mantra for many. Right? Drink before Mincha. Anyway, so once the says as follows, So therefore, the Rabbanon ultimately disagree with Rabbi Shimon because to say that the first Vehishka is talking about B'riyeva case doesn't make sense. I have a sub Rabbi Akiva. So we'll say, fine. So we'll say, so this is beautiful. This is absolutely beautiful because we'll say, now we understand the Machlokas. Everyone is dashed. So we'll say, so by the way, what we have in Sota is three phrases, two Vehishkas, one Vahayashka, the order is important. It's Vehishka, Vahayashka, Vehishka. Let's go through it once more. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, so let's just go in order. Rabbi Shimon, first Vehishka teaches me that if you reverse the order and you drink before Bincha, Pity evidence, okay. Vahayashka, Mincha, and then drinking. Third Vehishka, that if you erase the parchment, and she says, I'm not drinking that. What do we do? Force her to drink. Rabbanon, Vehishka number one, L'chatchila, you drink before Mincha. Right, Achar Yashke teaches me, if you erase the parchment, but did not fully erase it, right? You have to go ahead and make sure it's fully erased. And Vehishka number three, the third phrase is, if you erased it and she says, I'm not drinking, we force her to drink. Beautiful, good. Here we go, Bosei. Vesav Rabbi Akiva, 
Let's jump back for just a second. Does Rabbi Akiva hold that Allah if a woman says, I'm not drinking, and they already erased the parchment, that Allah we make her drink anyway? Does Rabbi Akiva actually hold that? So it's fascinating. Vatanya, we learned. It's absolutely fascinating. Vatanya. Rabbi Huda Omer, Kalbus shall barzel, matilin lesoch piha. I will say they would have, it sounds, pretty, it sounds pretty brutal, like they had this instrument in the base of Mikdash that would actually pry her mouth open. I will say, you know what it's like, like, you know, can you go to the dentist and they, right, they, they, mamish, it's torture, right? Again, right? Like they put, they put that thing in your mouth, like to keep it open. I don't know what you call it, uh, torture device, right? And I think it's a, the technical term, right? Just to like pry it open. So apparently, again, the dentists have their eye from the base of Mikdash. Kalbos shall barzel. So they had this, they had literally again this, this metal utensil, Matim Sophia, they had put into her mouth, that Allah again, if they if she if they erase the Megillah, she said, I'm not drinking, Ma'aran Oso Mashkin Oso Bakrach, we'd make a drink. We'd make a drink. So let's watch this. So this is incredible. Rabbi Akiva says why would you make her drink? Rabbi Kiss is like this. Understand, understand. The whole point of the Mesot Rabosai is what? Is what? To test your innocence. If she says, I'm not drinking, that's a pretty good indicator that what? That what? That she's guilty. So Rabbi Kiva says, why do you have to force it? In other words, what's, what's, what's the point of that? The whole point of this is to test. Say, remember, the whole chap of Mesot is we don't know what's going on over here. The waters are going to check her. If she says, I am not drinking, that is an incredible indication that halacha lamaisa, she is guilty. To which the Gibars, Ella, we'll say first white line on the bottom, Ella, up until the time that the mincha is offered, she could recant, she could retract. I don't, I don't want to drink. Remember again, this is reflecting the view of the Rabbanon. But once the mincha is offered, now we're going to see the Gemara just made an inherently contradictory statement, right? Because it sounded like, according to Rabbi Akiva, at what point in time could she say, I'm no longer drinking? When? Until when? Until any time. In other words, until she actually drinks, Mincha was offered, Mincha wasn't offered, she has the ability to say, I'm not doing this. I changed my mind, I'm not doing this. And Rabbi Akiva says, okay. Mission accomplished, right? The water was supposed to check her. Essentially, again, she's effectively admitted admitted guilt without drinking the water. Now, the Gemara just said, by the way, if the, as long as the mincha wasn't offered, she doesn't have to drink. But once the mincha was offered, she has to drink. So we'll, we'll note that contradiction in just a moment. To which the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, I don't understand. I don't understand. Based on what you just said before, it doesn't make any sense. Even once the mincha was offered, she should still be able to go ahead and say, I'm not drinking. Why? Because Rebbe will say, the moment that a woman says, I'm not drinking, then again, that is effectively an admission of guilt. So even if the mincha was offered, what does it matter? Lokasha, so we'll say this and this. We'll stop over here. Actually, we'll say, I'll just read this and we'll stop. Lokasha, hadika hadra be machmas resisa, the hadika hadra be machmas beyusa. We'll stop here for today. We're going to pick up with this idea tomorrow. We're going to see that it depends why the woman is saying she's not drinking. Sometimes a woman says, I'm not drinking, and she strikes a strident tone. 
Other times, she says, I'm not drinking, and she's just scared out of her mind. We're going to see if she's just scared. That doesn't mean she's guilty. That could just mean she's scared. Sometimes when a woman strikes the striding tone, the striding tone in and of itself is reflective of guilt. So we'll both say, we'll stop over here today. I know we're kind of leading off mid-sentence. We'll talk about this fascinating distinction tomorrow. Get to the resolution of the Sigur Mosei. Shkoyach. All right, everyone, Zoom. Have a great day, everyone.